Amen. Go ahead and be seated. It's good to have you here. We're going to be in Ephesians 5 today if you have a Bible or a device. And by the way, happy fall. I guess, I guess it's fall. If you woke up like me and it was in the 30s, did you complain a little bit in your heart? I complained a little bit in my heart. I wasn't quite ready for the 30s. I don't even know if I'm ready for the leaves to fall quite yet, but it's here. So happy fall. Um, If you've been with us for a while, we have been slowly walking through the Apostles' Creed as a beautiful statement, one of the oldest creeds outside of the ones that we find in the Bible. Um, It is not Scripture in and of itself, but it is built by Scripture, and it helps you and me by bringing symmetry and balance to what we believe. We've talked about how it brings fluency to how we discuss um, the things of God with each other and with the lost world, and it's going to do the same thing today because we just recited it together and we got to the part that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I'm pretty confident that we don't all think the same thing whenever that's said out loud, right? I'm pretty sure that the real question is, is what do we really mean by Holy Spirit? We all have some different backgrounds, wildly different backgrounds when it comes to the Holy Spirit. In fact, just, just saying the words Holy Spirit has already made a number of you a little bit nervous inside. Go ahead and admit it to yourself. When I was in the men's Bible study on Thursday morning, I tried to crank the volume and make it just a little bit more weird, so I used the word ghost, Holy Ghost, or the ghost of God, just to maybe change the temperature of the room, and it was successful. I've seen this doctrine, the doctrine of the person of the Holy Spirit handled very well, beautifully. I've seen it sabotaged and hijacked as well. I've seen some people do some things. I've seen some weirdos do some weird stuff that I could only catalog under the words unhelpful, maybe even heretical. Some of you have seen this too, which is why you're a little bit nervous to get to this part of the creed. Maybe a little bit more nervous next week to find out why the Catholic Church is in our creed, right? Of course, listen, I've been in other settings where the Holy Spirit is almost totally absent. He's none other than the module of God, the portion of God that seals our salvation, and then he just disappears into the ether, never to be spoken of again. I'm going to submit that one abuse is not better than the other when it comes to that. In fact, if the creed helped bring accuracy and balance to any of our doctrines, I'd submit that the Holy Spirit's probably one of the better moments for us. And as much as I would love to get into the weeds with everything that is the Holy Spirit, the theology of the Holy Spirit is what we call pneumatology, pneuma just meaning breath, as much as I would like to get into the weeds on exactly all the details down to the granular level, not just on the Holy Spirit, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the roles, the ministries of the Holy Spirit, the the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we've done a sermon series or two or three on this in recent years where we have slowed down to track through that. You could find it on the website. We probably need to do it again just to refresh it. As much as I would like to do that today in one day, I want to center our gravity on one primary question. Why do we care? Why do we care? What use is there in believing or interacting with the Holy Spirit? I think it's a good question. I mean, we just read it in the creed. It's in the creed. Check. But this is a question of relevance. Why do we care? You see, unlike God the Father and unlike God the Son, God the Spirit is shrouded with mystery. Lots of loose mystery around him. And so what we do is we kind of establish a footnote status for him. 
I mean, even in the creed, he's mentioned third. Did you notice that? It wasn't mentioned first or second, but third. Some of you, you like it that way, right? You like it that way. You kind of want him to be pushed out to the margins of your personal theology. But let me just say, in the Godhead, the weight of the Trinity, the glory of the Trinity is distributed evenly. I mean, they're a perfect community, and they are one. It's important that we remind ourselves. In fact, I'll, I'll push it a little bit further and say without the valuable person of God that is the Holy Spirit, the gospel is broken. It no longer even makes sense. It's definitely not good news. I would even say this. Email me later if you want. I might not respond, but you can feel free to email me. I would even say that the role of the Holy Spirit in the gospel picture is just as valuable as Christ on the cross. I just said it. And that's how, that's how much friction there is in our pneumatology, our theology of the Holy Spirit. We just can't believe that. But I want you to consider that it was the Spirit that hovered above the chaotic, dark, formless waters of creation in Genesis 1, pre-looking forward to a time where the same Holy Spirit would hover over the formless, dark, and chaotic soul, not to create you, but to recreate you. It's what Paul would later on call regeneration, the moment where a heart of stone, a heart that can't feel, a heart that can't see sin, a heart that doesn't care about sin, a heart that is unable to see God with glory, to be in awe, to be enamored, to be fixated on God, the moment that heart is traded for a heart of flesh where we can feel, where we can celebrate, where we can mourn, where we can cry, where we can repent. Right? He's important the Holy Spirit. In fact, let's look at Ezekiel 36. This will be up on the screen. If you're not fast, stay in Ephesians 5 because that is going to be our target passage, but this one holds quite a bit of weight for us. 36, and I'm going to jump into verse 25. This is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus would speak on the Holy Spirit. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Listen, without the Holy Spirit, the gospel does not happen. It just doesn't. We'd be unable to live a supernatural life. We would be stuck I mean, just consider also how important he is and the fact that he, the Holy Spirit, led Jesus into the desert for temptation. It would be the Holy Spirit that would empower Jesus to do the very miracles that he did. It would be the Holy Spirit that would raise Christ from the tomb. It would be the Holy Spirit that Jesus was glad to give you and me to do what? As we already read, to be a helper, a comforter, a challenger, to remind us, to enliven us. These are things that he does. The question really is what do we do? What does interaction with this spirit look like? I mean, are we even supposed to do it? Better question, is it possible to live a fruitful life of consequence without ever interacting with the spirit? I only say that's a good question because that's the way a lot of us live. We try to live a supernatural life naturally. We try to live a supernatural life without even thinking about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that that's going to be impossible for us. The only way to avoid a wasted, bored, boring life 
is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to explain what that means here in just a minute. But I mean, just think about it. How many of us blew it this week? Don't raise your hand. How many of us, though, blew it this week? We did it again, whatever it is. Or we didn't do it again, whatever it is. There's always an it. But our conscience is shot. We're just choking on a bad conscience, aren't we? Brought it in here. Sick to death of looking at ourselves in the mirror, hearing the same vows that we know we're going to break, reciting the same promises we're pretty sure we're not going to be able to pull off. Almost feeling like I just want to run from ourselves. And then we wonder, is that how God feels about me? Does he want to run away from me as well? Man, don't we feel so powerless in those moments? Powerless to fight sin? Powerless to just be encouraged? Powerless to pray, to be consistent, to forgive, to relax? Powerless to do anything, really. And and then to compound how we feel about ourselves, life is just hard. Because we exist in a land of thorns and thistles, where family is difficult where work is difficult, where sleeping is difficult, where everything is difficult. And then compound on that, Paul's about to show us that he says our days are evil. And there's just evil swirling around in the day. And so when we have a life where we're sick and tired of looking in the mirror, we have a life that is difficult, we have a life where there's evil around, we just look for distraction, look for escape. And why not? Because that's what it takes to survive. It's just to escape. This is what he says in Ephesians 5. So if you have your Bible open, that's going to be where we're at. Ephesians 5. I'm going to jump into verse 18, but we're going to go back earlier just a moment. But the punchline, and do not get drunk with wine, he says, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Paul here is talking to a church that knew what it was like to blow it. Sick and tired of looking in the mirror. Sick and tired of the vows and then the broken vows and then more vows and then more broken vows. They knew what it was like. Listen, it's so hard for us to connect ourselves to the original recipients of the Bible. What you need to know about the time that Paul wrote this to this church, they also were in a cultural pressure cooker. Hostility all around them. Racism and injustice all around them. They had inflation that was pretty ridiculous. They worked too much. They made too little. They didn't know how they would handle retirement. They had problems in their marriages. They had problems bringing their kids up. In-laws were difficult. Everything. Their hopes were deferred. They were sad. They were anxious. This is them. And there was evil everywhere. There was evil everywhere. This is what he says. Go back three verses into verse 15 of Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, listen, difficult days, evil days. Friends, that's, those are perfect seasons for interacting with the Holy Spirit. Perfect. But they also seem and feel perfect for distractions and escape at the same time, don't they? I mean, a dr- drunkenness is effective for this. Drunkenness is effective to do that momentarily. I don't know what your experience is with drunkenness. I'm assuming a church of our size, which is a small church, we'd fit on a spectrum between I've never touched it before to I've been in rehab. Everyone's probably in some sort of a bell curve in there, but one thing that I think we all know, whether you've had a lot of contact with it or very, is that for a moment, 
things feel better when you're drunk. For a moment. Things are happier. They're funny for a moment. For a moment, we are numb to all of our anxieties. The thing that had our heart rate up when we walked in is now not there anymore. For a moment, everything feels a little bit more tolerable, almost forgettable. For a moment, this is our primary attraction to wine or weed or anything else that can kind of desensitize the sharpest issues that we've got, right? This is why we call happy hour happy. This is why Proverbs 23 says that wine sparkles. It goes down smoothly. We, we intuitively know this, but this is why it also says a few chapters before that in a different proverb that, listen, wine is also a mocker and strong drink, a brawler. And if you're led astray by it, you're just not very wise. We know that too. I think led is a good word here in Proverbs 20. Whoever is led astray is not wise. It's, it's wise because when you're drunk, you are led. You're unable to put words together to make sentences that make any sense or are helpful. Unable to put one foot in front of the other. Unable to find the bathroom. You're just led around. Unable to discern the will of the Lord. Unable to do what's wise, to be wise, to say wise things, to be helpful for people. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now I'm going to drill in here and tighten the screws on exactly what that means. But the tense matters here. And, and it's not clunky. It's just there's some nuances to the language. When we hear be filled, we think past tense. That's something that's happening behind me or it happens once. But whenever we read the Bible here and it says be filled, it's a, it's a continual present tenseness to it. We are to always be filled, constantly be filled, moment by moment constantly being controlled by the Spirit. But again, not to, take, not, not to take too much pressure off the original question, why do we care? Can we live life without it? No. You cannot live a supernatural life under natural means. You cannot live a supernatural life naturally. And that's what we crave, is a supernatural life. That's what you want. You, you want, I, I, I don't even know some of you, and I know you, you want a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life with some joy, a life of peace. This is what you want. That's how you were made. Now, what we'll do is we'll adapt to a boring life, a predictable life, a life of misery. We'll adapt to it. We'll figure out how to survive in the midst of it, but you're always dissatisfied with that, and you should be. That's not how you were created to live. If you're dissatisfied with your boring, predictable life, good. You're supposed to crave something different than that. We were created to carry purpose and meaning, but this place, this world, full of sin and struggles and evil in Paul's world, it breaks us, full of difficult things. We find a boring and desolate life to be our normal, and we just learn how to adapt and navigate it. We, we, we run into this place where we just don't really believe that God is good. So what we do is we try to replace God with, quote unquote, good that we find all around us, and we'll do it in a million different directions. I gotta find some good in this world because i got to survive in this world, and this is what surviving looks like. But then sometimes we'll show up to a church service, we'll read a book, or we'll be in a DNA, or we'll be across the table from somebody, and we'll be reminded that God has better for us, that, that what we have lived is just it's not good at all. 
And so then we hope for better. So then we go out and we try to be better. We don't really know what that means. We just know I need to be better. I'm not better now. I'm just going to try harder. But then it doesn't work. Like a cul-de-sac, you just keep circling and coming back. And then you get anxious that you're not where you should be. Angry that you're not where you should be. Shame comes on and says you ought to be better. You're not good for God. And so we try to change again, but we can't. We keep finding ourselves circling the same cul-de-sac, but we put on a good face for it, don't we? We don't want others to see what's going on deep down inside. But deep down inside, we wonder if we're really growing anymore. We're pretty sure we're not changing anymore because we've stopped warring against the worst part of our lives and we've stopped chasing down the best parts of our lives. And we'll blame it on outside factors. My wife is doing this to me. My kids are doing this to me. My job is doing this to me. My church doesn't feed me anymore. Whatever. And then we'll make moves. We'll move. We'll break our marriage. We'll find a different church. We'll find new friends. We'll do whatever we need to, but then we find that we're still not growing. It's still not happening. And now to add on top of it, we stop caring so much about that. We stop forgiving people. We stop repenting. We forget what it's like to love the adventure of God. We lose the sparkle in our eyes. We stop talking to other Christians about Jesus. We stop talking to people far from Christ about Jesus, and then we just stop talking to Jesus. We just stop everything, right? Because we make peace with a broken world, and we just try to survive. You know, before he took his own life, Ernest Hemingway He says this about this world. He said, the world breaks everyone. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the very brave impartially. If you are none of these, you can be sure it will kill you too, but there will be no special hurry. He knows. Paul, however, has different words for you and for me. He says, be careful how you walk. It's hard. Your life is hard. There's evil in the world. Be careful how you walk. Be wise. Don't be dumb. Don't escape into creation. Don't escape creation into creation. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be commandeered by the Holy Spirit. Be commanded, governed, influenced by the Holy Spirit. Listen, because God is so merciful to you and me, he's not just gracious, but he's merciful. Because he's so merciful, he doesn't just abandon us when we replace him with a million other goods, right? Occasionally, he'll come and he'll remind us that there is better, that he is better. Doesn't he do that? Sometimes it's just a whisper. It's so faint, we almost lose it, right? You, you, you hear, it's, it's like trying to grab water. It's so faint, it kind of gets choked out by the noise of the world. And sometimes we're in so much rebellion, we just push it down. But sometimes it comes in a whisper. Sometimes it's pretty, pretty obvious to us. But when resolve returns, however that looks like for you, and we want to go into a supernatural life, how often do we reach back and grab the same broken playbook with the same broken plays? And instead of just being filled with the Spirit to live a supernatural life, we try to do it naturally. And this, these, here's a couple of a million different ways that we do this. One is we just look for more knowledge, right? It must be education or a lack thereof that has kept me from living a supernatural life. I need more data sets. I need more, I need more stuff in my head. So we buy books. 
We listen to sermons. We find podcasts that we could listen to at 1.25 speed, as many as we possibly can, hoping to educate ourselves away from sin and into peace and into satisfaction, into significance and consequence. Here's truth. There's a thread of truth in this, and this is why it's so tricky for you and me. Seeing God clearly, it does mean enjoying him more richly. Sometimes we do need more data sets. Sometimes we do need a good book. You should have good books. You should listen to good sermons. Collect a few podcasts that really scratch that itch for you. It's not bad, but, but uneducated saints going all the way back to the time of Christ with a low Bible IQ have found a way to live a very fruitful, meaningful life of consequence. And we're the most educated society in the history of the world. And yet the most bored and desolate society in the history of the world. You cannot live a supernatural life by getting smarter. You can't. Not by getting smarter. So then one of the things we turn to also, if I would say we throw with one hand there, the other hand, we're just going to try harder. Maybe I just lack discipline, and that's why I'm not living a supernatural life like I want. I'm just going to double down. Whether I have to find some hacks, I'm sure they're out there. Whether I need some more accountability, we will do whatever it takes. And listen, that might be true. Again, a ribbon of truth in this. You might need to change your rhythms. You might need to unsubscribe from a few things. You might need to delete some things from your life. There will be pain in that. It's true. You can't grow without a level of pain. One of my favorite books, it's not, it's not my favorite because it's, it's full of good stuff. It's full of one good point. Right? It's, it's a book called Leadership Pain by uh, Sam Chand, Dr. Sam Chand. And the reason I like that is because what I'm talking about here is a point of leadership. If you want to grow as a leadership, it does mean pain. You will only grow to the level of pain you can absorb, right? This is his, fav- this is his famous formula It's very easy to follow. Growth, which is what we're looking for, equals change. Change equals loss. Loss equals pain. So inevitably, growth equals pain. So true. What's also true is that some of us hate pain so much we're in stasis, aren't we? We don't want that kind of pain. Friend, you cannot change without loss. But, but, some of the most disciplined people that I know, and I know a few, Some of the most disciplined people that I know are living the most miserable, desolate, and boring lives. Cannot live a supernatural life by getting smarter. Cannot live a supernatural life by getting more disciplined. So how do we do it? How do we do this thing called supernatural life? The answer is very easy. We yield. We yield. We submit. This is what it means to be filled I'm going to go back to that phrase in Ephesians 5. He's asking us, telling us, admonishing us to be filled. This is what we imagine he is saying. Like I was out driving my truck, or in Texas I'd say I was out driving my pickup this week. And as I'm driving my pickup around town, I noticed I had some extra time between one appointment and the other, and I'm down to a quarter tank. I'm not in any mission-critical moment right there, but I got time. So I pulled in, and I put gas in the tank, right? I topped it off. This is what we imagine Paul is saying here, that we're just topping off in the Holy Spirit. We're filling a tank in the Holy Spirit, because that's the language that we use. But that's not really what he's saying right here. 
if you scratch aside just how we see today in 2023 and you get down to the original language, what he's really referring to is a sail, something like a sail being full of the wind or a kite if you don't like boats. The sail yields to the wind. It's full of the wind, governed by the wind, commandeered by the wind, pushed by the wind. The wind controls everything. Filled here to be full of the Holy Spirit means to be controlled and governed by the Holy Spirit. Just as wine would control and govern how we put our feet on the ground and the words that come out of our dumb mouths, right? Just as we are filled by wine, that is how the Spirit does this. It fills us and commandeers our faculties. The Holy Spirit governs our life just like a strong wind comes and grabs a sail and pushes it out so tight that you think the seams are going to break on it. That's living full of the Holy Spirit. Your interaction with the Holy Spirit is predominantly one of relenting, yielding, submitting, surrendering, however you want to say it. This is why we're fearful to do this, though. It's risky. Friends, it's risky to live a life full of the Holy Spirit. One, I don't know where I heard this first. I'm going to say it was somewhere in that, that span I call college or post-college, but somebody smarter than me when I was a brand new Christian got up and he likened the Christian life to a house full of rooms, right? So bear with me. Some rooms in your life that there's no door on the room and it's clean. The room is clean. Everything is put away. It's beautiful. That's what everybody can see. That's where you entertain people. There are rooms, however, with a door that's shut. It's not locked. It's just that you prefer people didn't go in there, right? It's got stuff in there that maybe for some of your friends you might open it up, but that door doesn't just stay open. I mean, in our real houses we have this, right? Don't we have this in our real houses? We understand what I'm talking about. But in your life you have rooms that have a locked door. Two, three, four, five locks on it. No one's getting into that room, friend. Not even God. It's too risky. It's too risky because we know if God himself enters that room, he drags a pressure washer with him, doesn't he? Trash can, a dumpster, a bucket of white paint. He's not going to let things sit the way that they have been sitting. If God gets into the room of my life called ambition, he's just going to change things. If he gets into my room called addictions or imaginations, He's going to start messing with the furniture. Listen, this is stuff I've needed to survive this broken world. He's going to take it from me. I can't risk it. So we leave those doors locked. Man, yielding, living with the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit simply means abandoning control, to be governed by the Spirit. And this makes total sense, doesn't it? Because that's how the gospel is framed. The gospel itself is a risky message, is it not? As Ray Ortland famously says, it's a gospel that unselfs us. It pulls us from the middle. It forces us to unlock all the doors because we're not in the middle. And it's not even about us. It is an unselfing gospel. A supernatural life cannot be lived naturally. It's lived by relenting to the Spirit. It's lived by never telling the Spirit no to anything. It's lived according to as Christ would say, not my will, but yours be done in this room. 
not my will, but yours be done in this room, with my career, with my marriage, with my free time, my hobbies, everything. This is what Jesus says in John 6. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He submits. The gospel's a story of submission. It's a story of yielding and relenting. Jesus relented to the Father's best and kindest will. And the Spirit of God led him to the grave. The Spirit of God led him out of the grave. It's a story of us being led. The gospel invites your trust, invites you to trust that he is better than all the goods in our life. He is better than what's behind the locked doors in our life, that he is better than all of our escape routes and survival strategies. He is better. It invites that over and over again, and that's what the world needs. The world needs a church that is not just very good at doubling down and trying harder than everyone else. How boring. The world doesn't need a church that is just smarter than the world. The world needs a church that knows how to open up our hands and say, your will, not mine. That knows how to say, that thing that I've had behind the locked door, here's the key. It's yours. It's yours. I mean, this is what it looks like. This is the anatomy of a spirit-filled life. It doesn't just, man, listen, friends, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is just a bringer of gifts. And he dumps these gifts all over all of us. Of course, we all have different gifts and everything. But to be full of the Holy Spirit just means to be walking around doing gifted things all the time. It's not what it means. It means to be yielded, a supernatural life that has daily habits of taking risk. This is how you do it. You live every day at great risk because you never tell God no to anything, ever. Nothing locked away. We are constantly aware in a spirit-filled life of what God is doing in us and around us. A supernatural life takes the daily risk of unselfing. It starts the day with prayers like, Father, this is your day. You could see on Google Calendar like I can, I have an agenda for today. Yet, I've been alive long enough to know that's not going to happen for me. Something's going to move my perfect little blocks around, and I'm just going to trust that you're in the midst of it. Because, Father, this isn't even my life. I'm stewarding something you gave me. I'm a pilgrim here. I mean, one day this all stops, and I start forever with you. This is your life. I, I yield it to you. I submit it to you. I surrender it to you. Here it is. Take it. All the rooms. It's having that posture, not just once a day, but moment by moment. This is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that reshapes our view of God. John 16, Jesus says this. I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Listen, it's very difficult to take the role of the Holy Spirit and squinch it into one sentence. I think it'd probably be kind of dangerous to do that. But I know one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to show you the goodness of God through the person of Christ compellingly. That's what miracles do. Look how good God is through the person of Christ. 
That, that's what our giftings would do. Look how good God is through the person of Christ. It's to draw our attention and focus it with an intensity on the goodness of who Jesus is. It's to glorify him, he says. This Holy Spirit that fills us glorifies Jesus, and it changes and reshapes our view of God and his gospel, and we need this. When Jesus is glorified in our life and all the doors are open to him and we are yielded to him, it changes everything. It changes our obedience because now we have the fruit of the Spirit, right? We have joy. Joy changes everything. This is what we see in Nehemiah, I think in chapter 8. He says, for the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? It's the joy of the Lord that, that causes us to, to put things down that we've not been able to put down or pick things up that we've not been able to pick up to obey it's the joy of the Lord. You're not going to get that. The, the lever of shame and duty won't do it long term. It also changes our afflictions, how we see afflictions, which is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's what it means to live full of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean to be happy. Happiness is different. It runs adjacent to joy. But it's not as much as joy. I think it's important to be happy. Different sermon. I think it's, imper- it, it's, it's important for us to be happy, to make ourselves happy in the Lord. I think it's a good discipline. But joy is something different, friends, right? We're happy because it's fall and pumpkin spice, whatever. I get it, and the Vols are doing great. I'm happy. I'm happy, right? Joy is when, stitch by stitch, my life is coming apart. It's coming apart at work, at home. I'm sick. And yet, there's something in me that can't let go of the fascination I have for God, and all I want is more of it. That's joy. They're different. Paul says in all of our affliction, and he had a little bit, if you want to go back and read about his life, he says, I am overflowing with joy. It also changes our mission. That's why Jesus says in Acts 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth, right? You can't live a supernatural life naturally. You can't be a good missionary that is able to be bulletproof through some of the various afflictions and evils and obey without the Holy Spirit. You cannot live a supernatural life naturally. You'll need to be a sail, holding the powerful, governing, commanding wind of the Holy Spirit, holding nothing back but unlocking every door. And I think that's, as I'm driving this to a finish right now, I think that's the point where as I read this, as I, as I pour over the scriptures, as I think about the, the doors in my life, this is where I've got to repent. Hiding things that we'd use to survive a brutal world. What is it in your life right now that seems just too risky to let God touch? In fact, when you pray, you don't even think about it because you know then, then God sees that you thought about it. You just push it away. What is that for you? We've all got doors we want shut. We're all tempted to put locks on them. What is it for you? You cannot risk. Every time we do that, by the way, we're calling God a liar. That's also a point of reflection and repentance here because what we're saying is is what's behind that door, God, I have to have because you're not good enough. You said you were good. I don't think you're good. I think you're lying. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. You're not gracious enough. You're not glorious enough. So I have to have these things. You're a liar. We don't just repent for the things behind those doors. We repent for the very fact that we put locks on them to begin with. Because we think he's not telling us the truth. And maybe even today as you listen to these very basic scriptures on a very basic topic, you sense the Holy Spirit 
asking you to change in a couple areas. You know what's cool, I think, about Jesus discussing with Paul when Paul's heart is being regenerated and he's laying on his back and he can't see anything. And Jesus says, why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you kicking against it? What he's saying is, why are you, why are you fighting me? You have to have known there have been moments in Saul's life before then where a whisper would come or something big would come and Paul would say, nope, not going there, not doing that. I'm going this way. I'm not going that way. I'm going to live this naturally. And then Jesus says, why are you doing that? Some of us, we're doing it today. We know very well how Paul could do that because we're doing it right now. What is it that the Holy Spirit is touching? Small, big, what is he touching? Where do you feel challenged? Where do you feel friction? This is the only application I have for you today. Yield. Yield. Submit. Or maybe you're just bored. You wake up every day and your days are increasingly feeling wasted. Life has just become just waiting for the next weekend. Waiting for the next football season, the next vacation. Yield. Pray that most dangerous of prayers that starts off, Lord, my life is yours. It's not mine. If you want it, it's yours. Take it. All doors unlocked. I, I let go. And listen, friends, some of you, whether you're watching online or you are here, you have a heart of stone still. And, and I, don't, I don't know what your history is with church or obedience or behavior or trying to look. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. With a heart of stone, it's impossible. It's impossible. You have to have a heart of flesh, as we have read a couple times now in Ezekiel. You cannot live a supernatural life without God's hand. You, too, must yield must submit, cry out to God to change your heart, to cleanse you, to give you a new heart, to provoke joy in your life, to change. This is how we do. Don't, don't think, how much can I get away with? Don't think for a moment, can I be a Christian and still hold these doors locked? But have the willingness to just say, you have a key to my entire life. Everything is yours. It's the same application. If you're far from Christ as it is if you are in Christ.